Good morning and Happy New Year, Fairhill Church. It's good to be with you. It's a, it's a joy to, to sing about being washed clean by the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, today, today we are continuing in the book of Mark. Uh, we are seeing how Jesus is the great king and how we might follow him as the king. And uh, we're kind of jumping back and forth over the Sea of Galilee. So we've, and kind of each trip, we're gathering more and more uh, glory and power and awe for our king. So we've seen him uh, still the storm. We've seen him cast out a legion of demons. And today we see the power that he has over sin and suffering and death. He is proving himself to be a king worthy to follow. And uh, we've seen the works of Jesus a lot. We keep seeing the works, we keep seeing the works. Uh, but I hope today to look at a, a slight nuance. What is the heart of Jesus as he does these things? And we ask that because we are supposed to go to Jesus and come before him. We bring all of our sin and all of our suffering and we ask the question, how does he receive us? What is his heart towards us as we approach him? Is it this kind of standoffish, reluctant, well, you shouldn't have sin, but I'll, I'll take it, I guess. Uh, or is it kind of the, the open-heartedness that we saw there, and how can we prove it to ourselves and to our heart that we might want to go? That's kind of the question this morning. Uh, how does he receive those who desperately need him? How does he address them? How does he receive them? And so let's turn to Mark 5, verses 21 uh, through 43. This is, uh, once again, one of those sandwiches. So notice, we'll start out with a central story. There's an interruption, and then back to that same central story again. And more meaning will kind of be hepped up and, and gathered together to kind of a final resolution. So Mark 5, starting at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she might be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and told the children's uh, father and mother and those who were with him, who went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to us. We know that you are an all-consuming fire. We know that we cannot stand in your presence. And yet, here you are, incarnate, pouring out uh, compassion and healing and deliverance to your people. And Father, we are humbled recognizing that we are, we are these people. We are those who so desperately need you. And Father, we thank you that you receive us. Father, would you give us eyes to see and, and hearts to believe the things that we uh, read today? Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? And would we draw nearer to Jesus Christ as a result? We pray in his name. All right, so this is a story of, of fathers and daughters. Fathers and daughters. Uh, there's a unique connection between fathers and daughters. Uh, the daddy-daughter dance, the, the first dance of the wedding, the, the, that first and final dance, uh, there's something very special there. Uh, now, some of you, you guys, some of you have, have way more daughters than I have, and you will understand it far more than I do. Uh, but there's a difference in having a son versus a daughter. Uh, I haven't had mine for long, but towards my daughter, there's like a little bit more of a protection, a care, something slightly more fragile about her. Uh, Remy doesn't help that because uh, most of the time I'm trying to protect myself from Remy. As he's like, he likes, he likes to, he started this thing where he like just barrels down the hallway and just launch his head first, and so you just have to you just like shove him away, or else you, we both get destroyed. So, uh, all right, that's a, that's a son, and there's a certain certain tone about that. All right, I don't think that uh, Bibby's going to do that. If she does, uh, it's still going to be more concerned for her than for me. But there is this this kind of loving care that the father has towards the daughter that's that's special, and it's into that uh, that we find our story. When Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him. And one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, he fell down at his feet and implored him earnestly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be well and live. Now this is a man of great importance. This is a man of of honor, kind of like a, a church elder, Roughly the equivalent of that, but well-received, well-regarded. And this is someone who doesn't need to get on his knees very often. This is not someone who's often dependent. This is not someone who um, 
is prone to, to weakness, but here he is, begging at the feet of Jesus, not for himself, but for his daughter. That he has been reduced to that because this is his, his last hope for a daughter who is at the point of death. Now, what do we expect from Jesus at this point? All right, he goes with him. I, I, hope, that, I hope that's like the natural response. Uh, but we ask, okay, well, it shouldn't be surprising that Jesus goes with him, but why? Why does he go with him? Does he go? Because he is uh, a leader of the, of the synagogue. Or because he's a, he's a religious man and because he has, has shown faithfulness to God. No, he, he goes because this man is on his knees. And he goes because this man is in his weakness and desperation coming to Jesus Christ. And that, that draws... Jesus in a special way. Now I'm reading, uh, we're reading, Casey and I are reading this book uh, called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, Gentle and Lowly, and it's talking about the heart of Jesus. And his kind of whole thesis is, is that Jesus, he, he's not disgusted or put off by the suffering and weakness and sin of his people. In fact, it, it softens his heart that his heart is so in tune with those people that in their weakness he is drawn to them further. Now we in our sin, we tend to get disgusted or like, don't glob onto me in your weakness, don't, don't drag me down with you. Uh, Jesus, he's, he's exactly the opposite. That despite having all of this power and all of this glory, his heart is drawn towards the broken and the weak. We see in, in Hebrews, it talks about how we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. All right, sympathize. Now, this is not this kind of like vague sympathy card, like, oh, I recognize your life is terrible, and I'm going to stand here, and I, I can see it. Uh, no, what sympathy means here is that this is with you in your pain because Jesus Christ has felt the same pain. He's been in exactly the same place. And so it's not that he's looking up from on high, it's that in his humility, in his condescension, in his coming down to be with us, he so gets it that he, he shares our heart in it. Now, have you ever met someone who, uh, who struggled with the exact same thing you did, but is further along? Now, it's a great blessing. It's a great blessing to meet that kind of person because uh, they get it. And they don't start just throwing out simple solutions. They don't have, I don't know, their favorite Bible verses that they heard one time, and hey, maybe that'll help. Uh, no, they understand. And they, they're able to love, they're able to care, they're able to be gentle and with you in the midst of it. And that's where I want us to see Jesus Christ here. that he's able to sympathize with weakness and is drawn towards this man because he is on his knees, not in spite of it. And filled with compassion, he, he goes so that he might uh, restore this man and his daughter. Now, I hope we have that kind of natural disposition that we associate with Jesus. All right? Many of us have become kind of jaded towards Jesus. Jesus. 
that maybe he has this kind of alternative plan or he's just kind of out to seek his own glory. All right, we have to kill all of those doubts and all of those fears and recognize, so that is Jesus' heart. Maybe he's doing other things too, but that is his fundamental heart. It's one of sympathy and compassion for those in weakness. All right, so we have that, the start of the story. The start of the story is Jesus goes going with this man, and there's an interruption. A great crowd is, is pushing along him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had and had no better, uh, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. All right, so we had, the, we had Jairus, the man from the synagogue, and then we have the bleeding woman. Now, to understand what's going on here, uh, there are laws in Israel, ritual laws, ceremonial laws of, of purity. And now, these things aren't so much related to sin. It's not that you're, you're sinning if you are impure, but you're, you're a step removed from God as kind of a symbol of the fact that you're, you're not like him at the moment. It often has to do with things like blood. All right, God does not bleed. Disease. God does not get sick. Death. God never dies. And it's a reminder that like, God is God and you are human, and they're not to mix in this way. It's a reminder of how weak and how fallen we really are, and just that we are totally other. And as one of the ritual impurities, one of the things that makes you defiled is bleeding. Is this woman's menstrual bleeding, anyone's menstrual bleeding, that, that doesn't happen to God. And to protect the woman and the, the larger society from the holiness and destruction of God against all defilement, she needs to be isolated. And anything she touches becomes defiled. Clothing becomes defiled, needs to be washed. Uh, people need to be segregated from her. They cannot be in her presence. Now, this woman has felt and been in that position for 12 years. For 12 years. Where were you 12 years ago? All right. You have been in isolation for nine months. And you all want to pull your hair out if you had hair. All right, the few of us who don't have already pulled it out. Um, all right, imagine that. And it's not just isolation because uh, everyone's doing it. No, it's because you are impure and unclean. You have COVID for 12 years. And no one wants to be around you, and you're all by yourself, and you're a reminder that you are far from God. All right, that is this woman's position, and... What has she done? She's thrown the kitchen sink at this thing, trying to, to restore her life. And she has endured more pain because of her trying. She is destitute out of all of her attempts, and she is worse off. She was worse than she was at the beginning. This is a woman without hope, who is totally isolated from the rest of society and from God himself. Now, in that, what does she decide to do? She's going to touch Jesus. All right, 
That's the last thing she's supposed to do. She has been learned for 12 years she's not supposed to touch anyone or be around anyone or touch any of their stuff. Nonetheless, Jesus, the holy man, teacher, but she's got it in her head that if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. She, she has not been told this. She has, this is a desperate, unsubstantiated kind of assumption. But this is her, her last shot. And she's not supposed to be in a crowd. She's not supposed to be touching people. She is not supposed to be acting out of this magical belief that she'll be healed by the garment of someone more holy. That's not how it works. She's not supposed to do it without asking. And yet, here she is, and she touches him. Verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. All right, good news. Now the bad news. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? All right, can you imagine how terrifying this would be? All right, you just wanted to sneak a little healing out of it. And here he is, like, who touched me? And she was not supposed to be there. She's not supposed to be touching him. She just defiled him. And how is he going to receive her? Is he, is he going to be resentful? Is he going to be angry? Is he going to throw up his arms and say, you know, I need to go clean myself now, thanks a lot. Uh, what's he going to do? The disciples, they're like, how could you possibly know, Jesus? Let's move on. Uh, he insists. And as much as she's cowering and trying to get away, she realizes she has nowhere to go. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. All right, so she has to lay it all out. Her brokenness, her uncleanness, her defilement, her ruse and her, her calculated plan to heal herself without his knowing. Jesus has seemingly forced this out of her. And we ask, why? Why does Jesus care? Why does he insist on it? Is it so he can demand that everyone know he did a miracle? No. Is it so he can correct her theology and make sure that she knows that's not really how it's supposed to work? Is it so that he can call her out for, for defiling and not obeying the, the ceremonial laws? No. He does it so he can say this to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. All right. Do you see the heart of Jesus there? How does he receive this woman? How could he receive her, and then how does he? All right, first, he, he explains what happened in all of this with one word. He, he gives it faith. This was faith. Now, all the commentaries, they all like to say, this is a, this is a woman's magical belief. Her magical, superstitious belief, and she got it into her head, and she's running around. Uh, all right, Jesus doesn't think it's that. Jesus doesn't think it's that at all. He thinks it's faith. And her faith caused her to act. And that touch was not a, a, a magical hope. It was faith in the king. 
All right, do we, do we let that sit a little bit? What do we call faith and what do we call foolishness or, I don't know, irreverence or presumption? Jesus sees this as faith. All right, how does he feel about being defiled? All right, if he is defiled, he doesn't make any big deal about it. And as she is touched, she is healed, she is made clean. And Jesus declares she has found spiritual peace. She is no longer isolated. Why? Because she touched Jesus. Because in all of her defilement, in all of her sorrow, and she went to Jesus, she reached out to him. And then finally, how does he regard her ultimately? Look what he calls her. He calls her daughter. He calls her daughter. That's where we said this is part of a sandwich, right? There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's this beginning again. And remember, this is a story of a father and a daughter. And we realize that how does Jesus receive this woman just like Jairus was desperate for the salvation of his daughter? This is Jesus reaching out to daughter, that that is how he regards her. He regards her as his own, and yes, yes, come and receive life, come and receive healing, come and receive freedom. We talked about arms being open wide, that is how Jesus receives her, with the longing to, to care for and love his daughter, just as Jairus came with his, his knees down, bowed down before Jesus. And that's where we see this, this picture of the gospel. That Jesus becomes Jairus in a sense. The woman becomes the daughter and we realize, all right, how far is Jesus, not the synagogue leader, but the, the king of the universe, going to get on his knees and humble himself so that he might restore his daughter? Yes, he'll be defiled. He will be made unclean. He will have sin and shame heaped upon him. He will be blasphemed. He will be beaten and mocked. He'll be hung on a cross. Why? So that he can restore the life of his daughter. And there's no resentment in it. Jesus isn't... isn't ridiculing her or mocking her for her faith. or No, he's welcoming her in. And if he's going to acknowledge it, he's going to force her to talk to him and, and see him face to face. It's to remind her that, yes, you came to the right place. And all you need is faith. You came. You have received your healing. Go in peace. Now that's where we, we ask ourselves, I think many of you know that you're supposed to go to Jesus. You have reached out, you have recognized, yes, I, I need to put, I'm desperate for him to, to restore and to redeem. All right, but how do you do it? Do you do it? Like hiding, hiding behind Jesus' back, expecting him to turn around and, and shout at you for, for being there once again? Or do you come as a son, as a daughter, knowing that that is, that is why he, he came, is to do what he did. 
to bear our suffering, to bear our sin. Your faith has made you well. Go to him. Believe that that is, that is who he wants to be. A father to a daughter. And that takes us then now to the, that third part. So we're back now to, to Jairus. And now uh, the story is, is a little deeper. Because now we realize, oh, I'm supposed to read more into this maybe, that this is a picture of Jesus and his people kind of played out and being worked out. And so uh, it continues, but there's bad news. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? All right, this is where our fears start to come in. Because often we're in this position of Jairus and we had an expectation of how Jesus was supposed to be our great savior and comforter. And we had expectations of how he was going to do that. And I'm sure Jairus was elated when, yeah, he's coming, he's coming and he's, and then he's waylaid and he's distracted and suddenly maybe Jesus has lost the plot a little bit and now his daughter's died he missed his chance. Or maybe you think, you know what? How come, how come she got healed and my, my daughter didn't get healed? All right, many of you don't like healing stories because they make you resentful. And they make you ask, well, what, why not me? Why not my? Why haven't you done anything? And that's where Jesus comes onto the scene, not just as, as healer, but as resurrector. As the resurrecting one, the death even itself does not get the last say. Now there's another doubt here. Let me talk about suffering. And suffering, suffering is easy, in a sense, because uh, we can all admit to suffering. And suffering is not that scary, because... Uh, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. But maybe this goes a little deeper and says, well, like, what if, you're, what if you're further gone than being just sick? What if you're dead? What if you're dead in your sin? What if you are dead and irredeemable? What if you are to be utterly rejected? What if you're defiled deeper than just a little bleeding? You're dead in heart and soul. It's into that that Jesus then comes and he says first, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. I like this because Jesus, he, he knows. He knows our heart. He knows where we're at. And this is him encouraging them, believe. Believe in me. And we don't often, but Jesus calls us and, and he reminds us and he encourages us. Believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. Right, the people around who, who cannot, who cannot and will not believe or see what Jesus can do. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And the prophetic speaking of Jesus, and they laughed at him. 
He put them outside. That's where they belong. Go, go outside. We don't need you here. Uh, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. All right. We saw the, the woman, the bleeding woman, and she had this kind of forbidden touch. She's defiled. She's not supposed to be touching Jesus. And she kind of steals it would seem, some of his power. She's, she's robbed Jesus, it would seem. All right, this is Jesus doing that exact same thing, but in the reverse. He is reaching out, and he is defiling himself, and he is choosing to do it. And we see, okay, I don't think that, I think if, if Jesus had seen the bleeding woman, he would have reached out too. Because now he's doing what is even more forbidden, that the God of the universe, who is life and is being, who is completely independent and needs nothing, who is life itself, is now coming down and touching this little girl's dead hand. All right, that is defilement, and that is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus came so that he could do just that. That the all-consuming fire would destroy, but Jesus came in humility and weakness and in his humanity so that he might be able to touch and so that in all of his holiness and power and glory, he could give that to the dead, you and me who are sinful, and dead. That is the gospel of Jesus. And he is not defiled by it. He's not resentful of it. His heart is to do just that. Now, will you receive that Jesus? Will you go to him Please do not cower. You don't need to go on your knees. You don't need to tremble in fear. You need to go recognizing that Jesus, he wants to restore. He wants to reach out. He wants to. He loves you. He regards you as a child. And actually, the only ones he rejects are the ones who come in pride and arrogance and who say they don't want it. Let us not be those ones. Be the ones who go and who, who run to Jesus, our Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We would be lost without him. And Father, to the extent that we still try to do life without him, we are lost. And so, Father, would you, would you show us the heart of Christ? Would you remind us that he draws nearer to us as we recognize our, our weakness and our, our dependence? And Father, would you give us that same heart that we would be the ones who, who receive those who are sinners and sufferers because we have great sympathy. We know that we are all in the same boat together Father, thank you that Jesus joined us and raised us from the dead.
Father, for those who, who mourn, for those who are in sorrow, I ask that you would give them resurrection hope in Jesus Christ. Would you give us all resurrection hope that you will do all things by the resurrecting glory of your Son. We pray in his name.